Hello everybody and welcome back to Mungrax at Movies, the show where we don't talk spec about movies, we celebrate them. It's some rare occasions that we do talk spec about movies, as will be the case on today's episode. But it certainly has been a long time since the last had movies. Last time we did intend to continue on at movies on a regular basis in May, we even set up that poll for you to vote on what movies you wanted to see us cover in May, and it just didn't work out. We didn't get the time to see those movies or record about them, and that resulted in this hiatus, as we also just didn't get a chance to see and discuss many movies in general, since theaters closed for most of the summer, and even when they reopened, we just were not able to reconvene to talk about the few movies that did come out, both in theaters, when theaters were still open, for the brief period they were this fall, and on streaming, as there have been movies that have come out on streaming, but we have busy schedules and we live in different places, so it's gotten harder and harder to convene to talk about movies, but rest assured, we do plan to continue at movies on a semi-regular basis, hopefully going forward. And we got some plans to do that to make it more regular. In the results of that Act Movies poll for what movies you want to see us cover, we got quite a few votes for Lupin films. To be more precise, we asked you for four films we wanted to know from you what you wanted to see us cover. And the top three results of those were Lupin the Third, The Fumo Conspiracy, Lupin the Third, Legend, Gold of Babylon, and Ursiat's Our Beautiful Dreamer, and then there was a multiple-way tie for Fort. However, in that multiple-way tie included two Lupin films, Lupin the Third, Bloodseed of Eternal Mermaid, and Lupin the Third, Bye Bye Lady Liberty. And so we thought, you know what, we have plenty of Lupin films in our collection, we've been meaning to watch through these anyway, let us review these Lupin films. And that is what we're going to be doing throughout 2021 on Among Movies. We are going to be doing a Lupin the Turd movie watch-a-thon series. But that's not all, because we are combining our Lupin-loving extravaganza cinematic experience with another TMS anime franchise. Who else could it be? Well, let's open the gates to the one truth that prevails. That's right, folks. We will also be continuing coverage of Detective Conan films, because TMS has been releasing quite a few over here, English dubbed on Blu-ray, and we're definitely picking those up and we're definitely talking about them. In fact, we have already recorded a review for Detective Conan Episode 1, which we did quite a few months ago, but we'll get that out to you as soon as possible. And, of course, you're going to be listening to our review of The Darkest Nightmare, which just came out. So this one, for once, is a pretty timely ad movies review. And we've also got some of those Lupin recordings in the pipe. Started off with 
What else but the first? That's right, Lupin the first. We've got a review of that in the bag, and that should come out to you pretty soon. We actually went to the theaters to see that one when it screened in theaters for that brief time in the fall, and it was quite a fun experience, and we're going to have a lot of fun sharing our review, because we had a really good time with it, and I think you will as well. But that does it for catching you up on what our plans are going forward for Among Us at Movies in 2021. But enjoy what presumably is going to be the last episode of Among Us at Movies in 2020. Our review of Detective Conan The Darkest Nightmare. Was this movie finally being dubbed a dream come true or was a, suggest a nightmare? Well, if it is a nightmare, it's certainly a very colorful one. And we certainly have some colorful language that we use to describe this movie, as you will soon listen to. Well, I don't want to keep you in the dark any longer, so let's shine a light on our thoughts on Detective Conan, The Darkest Nightmare. And action! It's always darkest, just before the Ferris wheel lights up into a myriad of rainbow colors that coincidentally happen to coincide with a color motif gimmick that is tied in with an alcohol that is the name of an secret agent within an organization holding around alcohol-based Gimmicks that is also called the Black Organization. This sounds dumb. Well, that's Detective Conan, the darkest nightmare for you. The darkest film with the most colorful title. Yeah, that that uh, that title was a bit off-putting at first. I'm like, this is a uh, not very fitting for something called the darkest nightmare. But uh, you do you, TMS. And we thought it was initially something that they did for the English localization, but then, like, a second passed and got to the, the opening credits, and it's like, no, this is in the Japanese, too. This is the title card they went with for this film, The Darkest Nightmare, which was the 20th Detective Conan film. It came out in 2016. It's the 20th anniversary film. And, of course, it's a big showdown with the black organization the series is villains the shadowy organization in the detective conan series oh it's gotta be so epic and uh high stakes because it's this big showdown except it's a very contrived yeah i mean this this is the thing with uh conan movies that involve the black organization they're usually pretty lame yeah, uh, mainly because like they can't really do anything with the characters because it's like, right. You can't actually progress the plot, 
So they have to end things in kind of a stalemate where nothing really of consequence actually happens. I, I still love when uh they were promoting this movie back in the day and they're like, uh, go watch it to discover the secrets of rum. Yes, go watch it to hear a modulated voice play over a scene giving the most generic demands slash instructions to the character in this film who is not really the antagonist but I guess is the MacGuffin character. Yeah, it's especially funny now because like we now know as of the time recording this, who Rum actually is in the manga. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just imagining them doing their persona job while uh, they're giving these orders, which is uh, yeah. very humorous. Yeah, and this movie really tries to play up, oh, is this lady they encounter Rum? Because one of the rumors about Rum's identity is that she is a woman with two distinctly colored eyes. And, of course not. And it's like, oh, but she's Rum's right-hand woman. Oh. And then when you hear the modulated voice later in her flashback scene, it's like they're really playing up the gender ambiguity of it all because it's like a female and a male, like, robotic kind of voice that's playing. Yeah. I guess, like, they're they're trying to play up where it's like, yeah, it could be a woman, it could be an old man. You never know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, TMS dropped this as a surprise Christmas present to us. Kind of unannounced, very without much fanfare, just a few days before Christmas. Yeah, and as of, I, I believe they still haven't actually promoted it all on their Twitter or anything as of the time we're recording this, which is kind of weird. Like, it just showed up on digital platforms on their website, and I've only seen, like, two Twitters actually talk about it like uh wtk the usual like anime uh news source for like home video and digital releases tweeted about it though they didn't use an image so i think it just got drowned in the twitter algorithm Mm -hmm. and then uh our good friend sakaki tweeted about it on uh the wss uh talkback twitter which is how i found out about it mainly because i've been super busy this week so it kind of just went to the wayside then i saw like wait they they dubbed Darkest Nightmare, not Blue Sapphire. Darkest Nightmare. Well, they're well, uh, working well, okay their way then. back. But we need Blue Sapphire. Which film is that? That's the newest one. Right. So I'm sure they're gonna wait to do that for when theaters reopen because we know that they want to show these in theaters at least. Oh no! Ones. So Scarlet Bullet is the one that's supposed to come out in theaters. That's next. the next one. Yeah. But the Fist of the Blue Sapphire was the most recent one. Yeah. It stands to reason that if the opportunity provides, they'll want to show that in theaters, too, first. But I want it now. Because it's a Heiji film, right? No, that's uh, the Makoto versus Kaido Kid film. Oh, okay. Well, Crimson Love Letter is the Heiji film, and that's already out. All right. But... I guess you're a Makoto stan now, or a Kid stan? Which are you? I mean, I, I don't really care about Kid. Makoto's cool, though. He, he's Okay. Well, he's, uh, Sonoko's in it, right? Yeah, I mean... That's all that matters. They're, they're fighting over Sonoko's love. Really? But not really. <laughs> okay. Makoto, Makoto's jealous that, like, Sonoko fawns over Kaido. 
Mm-hmm. That sounds amusing. Yeah, it, it's like, it's kind of a follow-up to, uh, there's a set of episodes yeah. where, like, Makoto becomes the ultimate uh, security system for Geokichi. <laughs> so it's kind of like a follow-up to that of sorts. Yeah, that's a fun thing to do for a film, is to follow up on just, like, kind of a one-off encounter between these characters. Build a rivalry. <laughs> expand on that. And see, like, that's what... Those are the type of kind of movies that I actually like. Unlike these ones where, like, you know you're not going into it, you're not going to get anything meaningful. Mm-hmm. I want them to just admit, like, yeah, we're, you're not going to get anything super meaningful out of this. Here, they're going to go play Karuta, there's going to be a bomb, and Heiji's going to be on a motorcycle and break through the building. Kazuya Haferu. I yeah. believe is what Jacka jokingly referred to. I mean, as. that that's basically what it is. <laughs> and I, I will, I stand by that film was actually good. I don't care what people say; it's good. <laughs> okay, he's on a motorcycle. He launches cone off a burning building. Well, I mean, if you like spectacle like that, I'm surprised you didn't like this film where Amaro and Akai fight on top of a Ferris wheel, a two-part Ferris wheel, where one wheel is spinning one direction, the other wheel is spinning opposite directions, and they're fighting on top of this dual Well, okay, okay, but see, that was the good part of this film. (laughs) Yeah, but then they also have to fight a helicopter while the Ferris wheel is breaking down, and that was one wheel, the Ferris wheel, like... Uh, gets off the axle and then it like rolls off and it almost collides with the stadium and so they have to inflate a giant soccer ball to cushion it. See, th- those ridiculous parts are the best parts of the film. When it tries to like actually pretend to talk about the black organization, that's when I lose interest. I just want super dumb stuff like that. Well, it certainly went over the top, I guess, as befitting of an event film, but not really... What I would expect from Detective Conan in terms of it's not capturing what I like about Detective Conan because this film doesn't really have a case to it. You know Detective Conan, right? People who are listening, Detective Conan is about a teenage boy who gets trapped in the body of a kid. So he has to go solve cases while at a child's body. That's the premise of Detective Conan. You solve mysteries. You do some sleuthing, puzzle solving. There is usually, like, some trick, some sort of thing that is hard to deduce to figure out how the criminal did it, and you're supposed to figure it out. You can follow along with Conan as he figures it out. It's what's fun. In this film, there's not really a mystery to solve, which is very strange, because it's supposed to be a 20th anniversary celebration of the series, I guess. It is an event film in the sense that it's, again, like, a confrontation with the black organization, but it doesn't have a case that Conan actually solves. Instead, they encounter an amnesiac member of the black organization that infiltrated the PSB, Public Safety Bureau, got information about secret agents who have infiltrated the black organization, and so now they have to protect her from being reclaimed by the black organization and they have their own motives of hopefully trying to glean some info from her about them and of course you know they're caught in a conflict with the black organization from there she's kind of caught in the middle and then she has i guess her own character arc like befriending the detective boys 
And then realizing, hey, I don't have to be a part of this black organization. I can be any color because I'm Kurakao. And Kurakao comes in many different colors, Relord. Did, I, I did you know that? It comes in like blue and yellow and green and red. That explanation was so dumb. I mean, yeah, I think we both laughed out loud at that. Because Conan just starts like info dropping all of this. It's just like, Conan, why? <laughs> why? That's just how seriously he's like saying it too. It's like, Kurokao is a liquid that <laughs> is bottled and comes in many different colors. And one of the Things you can add on to Kurakao is rum! <laughs> <laughs> what the god? Uh, yeah, it's all th- that other scene where he has like a freaking Jimmy Neutron brain blast of sorts. <laughs> they just have the diagram of her brain and then a bunch of different like, Oh my scenes. god, it was so bad. The compositing in this movie is so bad. This is one thing I want to talk about with this movie is that it is bafflingly directed and edited. There are ridiculously fast and awkwardly smooth camera pans. Like, it just, like, zoop, camera pan just, like, moves one moment from the next. It, like, slides in a way that feels so unrealistic and not natural. And then there's this weird part towards the end of the movie where PSB officers, I guess, are just talking with some amusement park security guards or whatever, and for some reason, that one pan is super janky and off. And I'm like, what happened there? Well, these other pans are, like, so smooth, I thought that Auto Motion Plus was on our TV, but no, it's off. it was off. And so I was like, why is are these pans going this fast? Why are they so smooth? And not only that, there's this weird shaky can that happens during the action days, like yeah. in the car chase in the beginning, and it's, like, all over the place. I'm like, why? This <laughs> Look doesn't look epic. This look makes this movie look more cheap <laughs> than yeah. rather than be a big budget movie. This movie actually looks quite bad. It doesn't look better than TV series. I think in parts it looks worse. It's weird too when you like... have CG pedestrians in the crowd. Okay, okay. <laughs> like so... when they arrive at the amusement park, like I was pointing this out to V Lord. There is this one kid in the background who's in CG, and they don't even animate him walking. It is literally just sliding the acid forward on the screen. And there are a lot of instances like that where it's like the CG is so bafflingly cheap and awkward and doesn't mesh with a 2D at all. And why? Why? Okay. In the same scene, then when a car isn't even moving, is in CG. Like when Sato comes to the amusement park, her car is in CG, and I'm like, why? It's just sitting there. Why does it have to be in CG? You couldn't you draw this? It's yeah. not even moving. So the the terrible CG is just something you have to get used to with uh, modern Conan movies. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is weird though because of the director of this, Kobun Shizuno. He also directed Crimson Love Letter, and while Crimson Love Letter might not be perfect, it's still way better than this. Like, I guess I'll have to see it to believe it. Eventually, I guess we will cover those other movies. Okay, clearly tonight we have to watch Wonder Woman 1984 and Heiji the movie. We're way to date the podcast, but maybe you will see reviews of those in the future. Who knows? But regardless, with this film, I was so baffled. Like, this is supposed to be your event movie, your 20th <laughs> movie 20th anniversary movie right and like it looks 
worse than your first movie, quite honestly. Your first movie from 20 years ago looked way better from this. Most of the Time movies, most of the Conan movies from 20 years ago look better than the newer movies, to be honest. No kidding. It's kind of sad. No kidding. This isn't like that One Piece 20th anniversary movie, Stampede. That was really well animated. That looked like an event. That was an event film, too. Yeah. That was kind of like dumb, <sighs> nonsense fun without like much consequence. But at least that had a lot of polish to its production. This looked really cheap for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the thing with comic movies from a production standpoint is that, like, Usually, I have a feeling that a lot of the animation uh, and the animators that work on these movies aren't necessarily, like, focusing on probably the action scenes. Because, like, you can probably make a Conan movie that's just them standing around. It'll still sell, like, billions of yen. I mean, that's most of Detective Conan. Is they stand <laughs> yeah. around and they talk about a case. They talk about whatever that case is, be it a murder, a robbery, something. They just talk about how the culprit did it. They try to problem solve it, make deductions. They figure it out. They by us by talking and investigating. It's very low stakes. And usually, coding cases they take place just in a couple rooms that they yeah. go in and out of. And the thing in like the movie is that like they kind of realize, okay, we probably shouldn't make a movie where it's just them in three rooms. And then you get cases that aren't really cases. And then you have to put in, like, a random action scene, like uh, Amuro versus Akai, which is super dope, but why do we have it? It's super contrived. So the reason they fight, obviously, Amuro and Akai, you know, Amuro has his grudge, his rivalry with Akai. It's kind of one-sided. Yeah, because... And in this film, basically... They get into a fight because, like, both the FBI and the PSB want to take Kurosawa in, but Amuro just wants to take her in more and is like, oh, you don't trust the PSB because we let her to leak her information, which has resulted in three agents from around the world who were infiltrating Black Organization bed. So maybe we should be trusted, but that's besides the point. Fuck you up, guys. Screw you for saving my life earlier. I have said at you for that. You have wounded my pride, so now I'm going to fight you over who gets to take in her. So, <laughs> despite the fact that the Black Organization, we know that we both know here, the Black Organization is on their way to intercept Kurosawa in this Ferris wheel and take her back with them so we should be on the lookout for that so we can stop them but no we're going to distract ourselves from that by getting into a petty fist fight where we actually are going pretty hard we're actually taking it quite seriously we are making each other bleed <laughs> blood is gushing from our mouths we are going at it yeah <laughs> I mean, only it's cool, senses when like, Conan says, oh, hey, there's a bomb, guys. And they're like, oh, I guess we should go <laughs> yeah. use this bomb. I mean, it's like, I'm buddy. I know you blame Akai for Scott. And Amuro still like, wants to fucking go at it. Even yeah. when Conan's calling out, Amuro's still got his hands up and Akai's like just shaking no. his head. And blood's still trickling from his face, shaking his head. And then Amuro puts his fist down. It's like, Amuro, I get it. You're mad at Akai stuff but like you gotta chill there's a time and place to get revenge even though you don't really need revenge 
<laughs> yeah, get revenge on the guy who literally earlier that day saved your life and by breaking get, it yeah. out of the warehouse. Maybe instead you should get revenge on the organization that screwed up everyone in the first place. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and the sad part is, is that that fight is legit the best part of the movie in terms of it is actually well animated. Like we mentioned, it is surprisingly like hard hitting and intense, but it's just so contrived <laughs> the way that we get to that fight and why it even happens. Yeah, I was double-checking who uh, was the scenario writer for this. And uh, yeah, it was uh, Takehiro Sakurai, who wrote also Zero the Enforcer, and he's also writing Scarlet Bullet, the upcoming wow. movie. So uh, I wasn't expecting much from the upcoming movie, but <laughs> uh, this kind of lowers my expectations. And uh, Zero the Enforcer, yeah, the plot in Zero the Enforcer is not very good at all. Mm-hmm. That's also a movie where, like, it's kind of carried by one action scene, and that's it. Man, I like Amuro, but now I'm kind of seeing uh, Jack and Sekiro's point that Amuro ruins the show, or Amuro brings the show down, or something. I don't think he ruins the show. I mean, facetious, <laughs> of course. Really, what's going on here is that this writer and all of these plots they're trying to do with the black organization that just emphasizing action and spectacle over like a battle of which which is the series's bread and butter or at least like solving puzzles and mind games or just trying to figure out how someone got away with the crime they've committed you know getting away from that losing what makes the series so good i think that's where these storylines are faltering in these films that are trying to hey we know people like black organization cases in the series and these are intimidating villains that get people hyped whenever they come back into the story so we're going to use them but we don't know how to create a mystery involving them so we're just going to have like a conflict with them, but we can't actually have Conan and a lot of our main characters actually fight them, because that will mess up the series. So, they still have to be kind of separated in a way. There has to be a degree of separation by the crimes they're committing, the Black organization, and then how Conan is stopping them. So they can't actually interact face-to-face, but they still fight, I guess. Technically, sorta. It's it's uh, it's not very well thought out, and I feel like the sad thing is these movies do well, um, and there's no there's no incentive to kind of go back to kind of a traditional Conan case formula for the movies. When's the last time that's happened in one of these movies? I don't remember. I haven't even watched every Conan movie, but I know like the last few have definitely kind of been more of the structure. Not necessarily as badly written as this one. Like I said, Crimson Love Flutter is actually good. Hashtag fight me. It's not just because Heiji. It might just be because Heiji, but... I think when I was first watching these films, when Funny was dubbing the first six, when I got to Phantom of Vapor Street, the sixth one, that was where I was like, well, this is going a little off the rails for me in terms of, like, they are being trapped in this video game world or whatever that's a parody a world that's a similar crumb of sherlock Holmes. conan art online 
Yeah, and I was like, well, this is kind of stretching my ability to buy into this because it seems like a step too far in terms of what is possible in the Conan universe. But I guess now, I guess the Black Organization has this digital room that has all these monitors and weird stuff everywhere. Yeah. But that's very black organization. That like one of the in canon things they have is like uh this simulator room where people can practice sniping and it's just like a giant like city sized room inside a building. I guess the series has gone into the realm of like kind of more I guess you would call it sci-fi appropriated elements. Uh, yeah, but I, I feel fantasy technology at the very least. I feel the, the difference though is that the movies and the non-manga uh, material tend to kind of emphasize that more. Because hmm. I guess like, I guess it does kind of look cool to like your average a probably viewer of a movie where it's like, oh my god, Cohen's on this super high-speed skateboard. He's gonna blow up a bomb with his giant Frickin' planet-sized soccer ball. Yeah. I don't think he can do that in the series. Like, obviously the series already has, like, kind of fantasy magical science in it. Obviously, we just put Apodox in 40, 69, or whatever, turning going into kid, you know? It's obviously... There's some crazy science in the series, but, like, oh, most of the cases... I, I think are generally grounded, at least the best ones, you mm. know, like the way people get away with their crimes can come, sometimes have a lot of steps and hoops and be convoluted. But like, you know, I think this Kurokawa and her like super human level of martial arts and then it her like feels very out of place. Eye analysis powers that have to do with her eyes. Uh, I don't know. It seems like we are kind of getting away from the universe of the series. Yeah, and I that, that's actually, I guess, to go on another tangent, that's like a common complaint people have about Conan and the fandom now, where like, it feels like it's going too far away from the traditional elements, which I disagree with. I'm still enjoying it, but like, I'd say if it ever went to this level in, say, the canon material, that's when I would start being more kind of negative towards it. Yeah, I mean, look, we've seen strong characters in the series before, right? Like, Ron's a pretty proficient martial yeah. artist. You have, you have freaking Makoto, who, like, just will, like, body off bodyguards like they're nothing. Right, but, like, no one's ever done what Kurokawa does yeah. in this film, where she, like, leaps off, like, a rail, like... I guess oh. Kaido Kid, maybe? But oh. Kaido Kid, you can buy into it a little bit, because it's all magic and slate of hand and wires. Yeah. He's not, like, using like his own superhuman strength in the way, like, Kirk I was doing, where she's, like, she leaps off a rail while Genta is falling. Like, let's talk about that scene. Genta, like, very <laughs> stupidly, he's, like, waving to Conan and I, like, on top of this walkway. And then he doesn't notice there's a damn wall. And so he gets hit by the wall when the walkway moves into it. And so he falls off. And then yeah. 
Like, was like, well, why is this a thing? Why are we doing this? Yeah, now? and then Kurokawa, like, she jumps off the rail, and there's, like, the building structure is kind of sloped, right? So she kind of, like, rolls or runs down the slope and then catches Ginta in midair and then, like, rolls off the wall down to the ground. And it's just, it's ridiculous that she doesn't get... I mean, obviously, she's supposed to be super strong and injured. Like, earlier in the film, like, in her introduction scene, she, like, jumps from how many stories up high in this building to down to the ground. I don't know. The more we talk about this, the more I dislike this movie. Yeah, I mean, cow is, like, Uh, she has, like, that's what I'm saying. She has, like, superhuman levels of physical ability, and yet they don't design her with any muscles at all, despite... Clearly, she having to need to have some strong calves. And I'm like, that is such cowardly character design. I think it's very lazy character design. I mean, we've discussed this, but she basically looks like Kira, but with white hair. Yeah. Because, uh, different colored eyes. It's such a unique character design there. Yeah, Kira, Carousel. Hmm, I thought there would be a connection there. That, oh, maybe it's intentional, but no. Kira does show up for a scene in this film when she and Amaro are being interrogated by mm. Gin, who, despite the Black Rising killing all the other members on the kill list, what do they call it specifically? The knock list? The knock list? Like, all the, the list of all the agents? Yeah. I mean, I guess like, I could sort of see it with Kier, because, like, they did watch Kier kill Akai, or that quote unquote mean anything. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, I guess, like, Gin just wanted to have fun? I guess, because he's like, I don't think there's any good reason why they didn't just kill them immediately, because they killed the others immediately. Yeah, so yeah, it's convenient writing. Yeah, it's very convenient, and it's like, oh, just in the nick of time, Conan manages to hack into Kurokawa's phone and send a message using her phone to Rum... And then Rum sends a message to Gin and tells them, oh, hey, Kurokawa says that Kier and Amaro or Bourbon are not traitors. They aren't double agents, so don't knock them off. But actually, you know, they still keep some suspense. Or I'm now totally trust whether Kurosawa sent this, so I'm going to have you look into that and confirm that uh, when you go rescue and retrieve Kurosawa. Yeah, it's it's not... Uh... So they aren't out of the woods yet, but that's basically the end of Kira's moment in the film. Like, I don't think we see her being untied or, or free yeah. or saying, hey, well, Kira, we were sorry for... <laughs> Thank yeah, you the, in the in the after credits, it's like uh, Vermouth is clearing up uh, Kier's name with rum because mm-hmm. Kier escaped the warehouse before the FBI showed up, which isn't really a big deal. They showed up because the FBI and Kier know that each yeah. other, they're allies. Yeah, <laughs> so did it really matter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like. The the entire plot of this movie is not good. Though we haven't really talked about uh, the real reason why we watched this movie, which was the English dub. Yeah. I mean, we sort of touched on the English dub in our episode one review. 
I guess there were a few more characters that showed up that were not in episode one, if you want to talk about them and your thoughts on their voices, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember who wasn't in episode one. I'm not sure if I've talked about Kier before, but uh, Kier was obviously in this film, and uh, she was voiced by uh, Jennifer Losey, who uh, I actually have met before. She's really nice. Uh, hmm. She's actually friends with uh, CJ Mafris, uh, nice, our nice. editor in Tanami Faithful. Yeah, so it's kind of cool seeing a familiar face in this film. With Kaiji Tang's corn, Chris Kaysen is rum, which I guess, I guess the modulated voice of rum that they put through against some sort of robotic filter. Yeah, which so. is a strange choice because, like, like you said, uh, they don't credit rum in the Japanese, Japanese credits, credits, which I guess like. I don't know, I guess it's just one of those things where, like, they just want to mention, hey, yeah, we're, we're going to credit them. Because I feel like, regardless, you should yeah. probably should credit them. I mean, so. maybe the cat is also out of the bag that Rum <laughs> is a male character. Spoilers! So. Well, I guess. <laughs> but you know that they're going to show up in a future film yeah. or whatever, right? It does make me wonder for future films what they're going to do with certain things, because, like, we now know the actual name of the organization. We now know who Rum is. Are they just going to, like, normalize that in, like, the films moving forward? I guess. Yeah. Uh, there's there's one joke I really want to make here, but I don't want to talk about who Rum actually is. <laughs> <laughs> All I say is that, you know, this film, I think I would have enjoyed it more with a good bowl of ramen. Oh, my God. Ugh. <laughs> uh. I hope people are caught up enough with Conan to understand that joke. I don't think it'll matter yeah. much. But there are other characters that I think showed up that maybe you want to talk about or... Yeah, so uh, James Black was voiced by Taylor Henry. He had a good voice, I thought. Yeah, he sounded how I'd expect James Black to sound. Can we just talk about how the FBI agents in the film are really superfluous? Like, do they actually contribute anything? Like, they talk a code in ex- expository scenes, but they don't actually really accomplish much. They're there for moral support. Like, Agatha's <laughs> the one who hacked into yeah. Kurosawa's phone and then sent the message. Like, they, so. they inform Conan about the knocklist, essentially. That's yeah. kind of dumb. So, I, I guess they kept Conan up to speed about what's happening with Amuro and yeah. why he's in danger, but that, that's really it. I guess, like, it is kind of funny. We were mentioning this while we were watching, but, like, uh, if you haven't kept up with Conan and you just watch this, you'll be like, why does Conan know the FBI? Like, yeah. Because they don't even formally introduce them. They just suddenly jump to a scene where he's in their car. Yeah, I mean, in the opening spiel about, hey, here is the basic synopsis of the series and characters who are involved in the series. Like, they do show the FBI and their names on the screen, but they don't really elaborate on that fact that Conan knows them and has worked with them. Yeah. And they don't really go that deep into the history of here or Bourbon is characters and Conan's relationship with them. Like, the only character that they really expand upon as someone who knows who Conan is and has a history with the organization is Ibera, who has a part to play in this film for sure, but like definitely not as major as 
Amuro that you'd probably yeah, want to give more context they, to. They probably should spend more time with the FBI. Or even Akai. They should probably, yeah. they really shouldn't explain. Where's oh, our Akai Amuro? knows these guys. Bios. I know, like, for Zero the Enforcement, they do do an Amuro bio. Yeah. I mean, I you would hope, since in that film, he is, like, the lead role. Yeah. He's the starring. Yeah, because I think usually what they do for the intros is, like, the secondary focal character they'll give a bio. Which doesn't make it weird for I then, because yeah. I don't think I is the secondary focal here. No, I don't think that she's more focused than Akai or Amuro. Yeah, because I know, like, for Zero the Enforcer is Amuro, or Crimson Loveler is Heiji, and then I think for Fifth of the Blue Sapphire, they did just, like, both Kaido and Makono. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has her own subplot in this film. Yeah. But it's a separate from what Conan's doing to an extent, because she's not involved in, like, the big takedown of the helicopter. But she does go to rescue the, the detective boys when she realizes they're still in the Ferris wheel. But she doesn't really do much to help them escape, actually. Yeah. But I guess she doesn't really accomplish much on her own, other than, like, have her... Black organization Spidey senses tingle after Kirkow uses her super uh, martial arts gymnastics to rescue Genta, and then it suddenly goes away, and it's like, wait, why does it go on and off per PTSD? Black organization PTSD. Yeah, how does thought, how does that work? It, it triggers whenever she's in proximity to the black organization because they all have the same smell about them yeah. of like gun. Fire, yeah, it's like because it's not it's not something that's just randomly triggered based on personality. It's yeah, like, it's like the yeah, it seems the implication is like oh, it didn't trigger her at first because she was amnesic, but then when she uses her abilities, it suddenly triggered like her suspicions. But then immediately when she went back to acting how she was, she calmed down. It was like really weird. Yeah. Also, we should probably go through the rest of the characters here that I forgot about. Um, yeah, sure. Andre Camel is Chris. Uh, uh Tur Gleefera. Then Jody Starling is Maureen Price. And uh, then we have... Uh, I don't think Chiba was in Lost Bone. Uh, Kazunobu Chiba, the OG, the Chad, was uh, Jason Charles Miller. I think Yuya Kazami, of all these secondary characters, is probably the most notable in terms of having a role in this film. Right? Yeah, Kazami is Ray Chase, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was also in Zero the Enforcer. Okay. Okay. As well. I wish I had actually known that it was Ray Chase when I interviewed. Or oh, that it was Kazami when God. I interviewed That him. would have been... Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, the, the film wasn't out on digital. Blu-ray or digital um, yet. Yeah. So I hadn't... You hadn't seen the cast list? Yeah. I hadn't seen the full cast list. Right. I only knew the majors. Um, and then Kurosawa is like her Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, who, yeah, is very talented. Um, and then, yeah, everyone else is kind of the usual stuff. Akai is Keith Silverstein, which is why he's perfect. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think all the voices are pretty solid. I think, you know, I was mentioning it throughout this film. Erica Mendes, I like her as an actress on uh, many roles, but she just doesn't have the Hidmegumi Hayashibara sass that makes yeah, eyes. I mean, this, this is kind of where I disagree a bit. Like, I, mm. I think she actually does a very good job. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Megumi Hayashibara is... Kind of a legend at this point. I right. think. I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare them, but I think they both do re- respectively a good job. I don't know. I feel. I mean, yeah, she does a good job, but it just doesn't have that same 
charisma to her performance as Hayashima, or even the Funimation performance. We could make this argument for the entire cast. And that's the thing, too, is that, you know, they're all doing good, but especially characters that crossed over with the funny dub, a lot of them, I have to be like, man, that funny dub, maybe it's just because I have watched it so many times, and I watched it first as a kid, but like those performances really stood out more to me. I think the best example, of course, was R. Bruce Elliott as Kogro slash Richard in The Funny Dub. Sandra Mobis, again, he gets the roughness of the Japanese seiyuu down for Kogro. But in terms of that sheer charisma and over-the-top enthusiasm, I just don't feel it as strongly, man. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Xander Mobis, I do feel he's kind of the weakest link in this cast mm. at times. Um, in Zero the Enforcer especially, he wasn't... Uh, he wasn't great. He was very stiff at times. Mm. I do feel that he has, at this point, gotten a lot uh, better by this film. Like, yeah. Crimson Love Letter, he sounded pretty good. This film, he sounds better. Mm. But yeah, he doesn't He doesn't have that same charisma I'd expect from Kokoro. Mm. But at the same time, I feel I've gotten so used to the Japanese cast. I've watched, like, over 800 episodes of Conan at this mm. point. That, like, I don't think at any time... Will I ever be able to be like, okay, hey, this is 100% on par with the Japanese. But I think from an accessibility standpoint, you gave this to someone who has never seen Conan in Japanese, is just looking for more Conan to enjoy. I think they'd perfectly get through the movie like this. Yeah, it's a really solid dub, I will say for sure. Like, the older performances are good. It's just not quite to the level of perfection, or rather, I just don't get the same, like, embodiment of the characters as I do with the Japanese cast, or with even the old funny cast for certain characters. I guess that's the best way I can describe it, though obviously, you know, obviously there are new cast members in the stub that are uh, improvements, like we mentioned in our episode one, Jin is... Definitely better with DC Douglas at the helm. And I think a lot of others do a really great job. You know, like Christina V as Ron, Minx Lee as Anoko. They don't really get much to do in this film, but they're good. That's the, another thing is that Ron and Anoko and Kogoro are really superfluous to this movie. Like they try to have this thing where they're suspicious that Shinichi is at the amusement park. And, like, they try to go to the aquarium to try and expose him, but that doesn't really amount to much. Like, I don't think Conan ever realizes that they're there. Yeah, it's like, uh... Like, you could remove them and nothing would change. I don't know. I think Kogoro slept through the entire thing in his car. Did he ever realize what was happening with all the big explosions and people running and screaming and... Chaos and pandemonium? Like, he, he was just... <laughs> I don't think he did. I think he's, he's just... He's there for the cameo and then he eats away. Yeah, it's so weird because they send Kurosawa's photo information to him. So you're thinking, oh, well, so is he going to get involved somehow? But that, yeah, that like, never he goes appears, anywhere. Like, he appears he's in three like, scenes. Yeah. He's in three scenes. That scene where he gets the photo. The scene where he goes to the hospital, but Kurosawa's not there. or so She's been moved to a nerve room already. And then the scene where he takes 
the kids to the amusement park, and just stays in the car to sleep. Yeah, I that's know. it. He really does not have much to do in this film. Yeah, I, I feel like he's just there for the fans just to be to, like, "Oh, hey, there's Kogoro." I guess. I mean, I was wondering why Sarah was in this film, but considering that this film already had so many characters who were there and just didn't do anything, maybe it's for the best. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of when Sarah's shown up in these films. I don't think she's in Crimson Love Letter she or was Zero Enforcer. Uh, Dimensional Sniper, right? I think so. Yeah, she no, she definitely was. I've seen that one. She yeah. was in that. I mean, that oh yeah, because like, isn't she like the? One of the targets on that one? I think so. And it was also about, like, a, someone impersonating a Kai or trying to assassinate a Kai. Yeah, yeah. and then obviously, like, she's going to be in Scarlet Bullet because that's entirely about the Akai family. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I could take it or leave it with Sarah in this film just because, like you said, there's too many people already. It's also not that great of a film anyway, so it wouldn't yeah. change much. Yeah. Uh, like, honestly, like... I'm not going to say no, don't watch the film. If you want to support Conan like I do, go rent it, go buy it. Mm-hmm. Wait for the discotheque Blu-ray and uh, pick it up. I'm definitely picking up the Blu-ray. But don't don't expect much from it. Yeah, if TMS ever uploads that clip of the Amuro Akai fight <laughs> on their YouTube channel, uh, definitely watch that because that's some, that's some good Sakuga fight in there. Uh, contextless is probably even better. But the entire film as a whole... It's amusing and how over the top and ridiculous it is, but it isn't a well written Conan story. Yeah, I don't think this really captures what I like about Conan as a franchise and what appeals to me about it. And I don't think it really does super right by its characters. I think that Kurokazawa is like the only new character in this film. She's doesn't have much to her because she's an amnesiac. And her kind of lesson that, oh, I can be any color. I don't have to be uh, black like the black organization because um, that's the theming of my liquid that I'm based on and all that stuff. (laughs) I think the scenes where she's bonding with the detective voice or... Youth Detective Squad, as this stuff is going Youth with. Detective Club, right? I think it's Squad. I miss Junior Detective League, that's what I'll say. I, I prefer that from the funny dub. Or Detective Boys. I could have sworn they used a different name in like one of the other films, too. Maybe, I don't know. Um, well, anyway, I thought the scenes with them bonding and finish there were cute enough. But, yeah, and she's just, you know, she's there. To, she dies in a really gruesome way. Yeah, it's also kind of fucked up that the kids don't know that she's dead. No, the kids are blissful. I see it happen, and I'm like, man, that's some messed up stuff to tack on to eyes. <laughs> Drama related to Black yeah, I mean, seeing this woman die trying to rescue uh, her. When this series friends. is over, I'm just gonna need a lot of therapy. Oh my god! Yeah. I was like, all the kids in this show are gonna need therapy. Yeah, you think after all the murders they see on a constant basis, on a daily basis, yeah. they've seen more murders in their days in a year. Yet they've known age. They're the existential nightmare, never-ending, ageless state where. They can't grow up and they have to just encounter murder after murder after murder. Oh, God. They're generally desensitized to it all. I bet if they learned what happened to Kurosawa, I bet if even saw it happen, they would just shrug it off and be like, ah, we've seen that. We've been there, done that. Let's do that. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's all our thoughts on this film, though, right? I think we basically covered them. I think the only other thing to mention that I thought was, oh, this certainly puts in a point in time, is that they played the opening 43 uh, at the end of the film, and I was like, oh, well, this clicks all together, because that opening was also about, like, some high-stakes action that was going on with all the McCoy characters. That one also had an armor rock an, on Yeah, it had an armor rock <laughs> fight in it. So I was like, okay, okay, well, this clicks together for me. Man, I can't believe that opening was that long ago, but yeah, makes sense. But yeah, I guess that is our thoughts on this Conan film, and I'm sure we're going to continue to cover and watch some of the other dubbed ones that are coming out from TMS. And I guess this is part of our, like, duel. We gotta cover Conan movies, and we gotta cover Lupin movies, because we still have to watch all the Lupin movies in our collection and review those as per the results of that poll we did back in May. Yeah, I mean, I've been slowly collecting all the Lupin movies. Yeah, so So I'll have a lot of Lupin movies to review uh, in this upcoming year, or basically the future of the Abbey podcast, and hopefully we can get back to reviewing, you know, a lot of the... Films that come back into theaters, hopefully, if that happens. If we missed quite a few else. films that we meant to talk about that did show in theaters very briefly. Like oh, yeah, Fate. like Fate. We forgot about Fate. Yeah. <laughs> it's already been a little too long, though, to talk about that. But, you know, maybe we'll do when we do our yeah. best of, we'll talk about it. Yeah, so. I mean, it's definitely my best of, because spoilers, the final Fate movie is good. Also, there aren't, weren't a lot of films that came out this yeah. year. Yeah. Thanks, pandemic. <laughs> Love you. Yeah. I mean, I gotta watch some stuff that came to streaming services, but oh. it's kind of hard to get motivated to uh, watch that's, it. That's but... a rant for another time. I, I suck at watching movies that come on streaming. Yeah, it's easier when you make it an event for yourself, like you yeah. watch it with people. But, like, on my own, I'm like, well, I don't feel in the mood to watch a movie by myself. Yeah. I want Because I can't, I can't put myself in a space to just sit down and watch something. It's also one of those things where, I like... I need to do something while doing that. I need it, to it's hard to focally isolate yourself on a single thing. Yeah. Especially when you live with other people. But even when I'm at my apartment by myself, I feel like I'm always going to be distracted by something. Yeah, and obviously this is personal problems. A lot of people, I'm sure, don't have this issue. It's just like, you know, left to myself, I'm on my own, I'm probably not going <laughs> to pay attention to a film. I'm probably going to want to watch, you know, a TV mm-hmm. show in the background while I'm working on other things I need to be doing. Yeah, like, even when I do watch movies at home, I don't watch them in one sitting anymore. I watch them piecemeal. Like, I would, like, binge, like, a long Netflix or HBO show. Yeah. 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 But, you know, hopefully theaters will survive the upcoming months to reopen, and anime will show in theaters, and we'll be able to see Conan movies in theaters like PMS wants, regardless of how good they are. I'm sure, you know, seeing mindless spectacle like this on the big screen would make it even more enjoyable. Yeah, I will admit, watching Zero the Enforcer in 4DX in theaters was way better than re-watching it on my uh, computer at Yeah, home. I mean, it's just because that was a special <laughs> event. You were yeah. one of less than 100 people... You got to see that film. Yeah. Uh, the dub premiere, the first ever 
North American theatrical theatrical experience for Conan. I got to network with Lex Lang and uh, sit next to TMS staff members. Yeah, see, that was a <laughs> special experience. Of course, that's going to elevate the experience of watching what it was probably otherwise a uh, mediocre Conan film at best, right? Yeah, I'd say if I were to compare it to this one, the action was not as good. Uh, the story was slightly better, but that only leaves them probably like an average. The story of this was better. The story of Zero the Enforcer okay. was better, but the, the action wasn't as good as this. Yeah, I mean it's it's like I said, it's like this movie has one good action scene and the rest of it's kind of dull. Mm. That's the same thing with Zero the Enforcer. It's just that that action scene isn't as good as this action scene. Okay, because like in Zero the Enforcer, we'll probably talk about this when like we actually yeah. cover it, but like. The final scene's like, uh, there's this satellite thing that's gonna crash down on, like, a giant tower. So Amuro and Conan have to go into Amuro's car, up a tower, launch their car off of the tower, <laughs> and, like, hit and collide with the satellite to slightly change its trajectory so that it goes in, like, a lake. <laughs> it looks really cool, but it's incredibly dumb, and, uh, it's, like, the only real highlight of that film. Because the rest of it's like, oh, it was Amro actually a bad guy the entire time? Oh, no! Okay, yeah. Trying to pull that, oh, can we really trust this character who we've already been trusting for a couple years and kind of already know their deal, but they used to be a bad guy, so are they still a bad guy? But this is a film, so of course there's not anything substantial that's going to come of this. Oh, the my hidden, God. The hidden secrets of the PSB. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm surprised Arnold can do his PSB job openly while still being undercover with the Black Organization, though. I mean, wouldn't he worry about being exposed by going after Kurosawa and confronting her directly? I mean, at that point, he was already on the run, though. So, like... No, he he was doing this before in the opening scene of the film. He was, like, you know, in the high-speed chase. Oh, yeah, there. I mean, like, they didn't see his face. No, I think he confronted Kurosawa in the hallway of the PSB. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Amra, I guess, was taking a risk then. Yeah. Movie logic. It's a little strange. I thought that was, had to have been a flashback, but then no, it's, it, it, it's the opening scene in real time. Yeah, because like, they don't know he works for the PSB, so... Yeah. Yeah, movie logic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do think that is about it for thoughts on this film so I guess we will wrap up this case this investigation of this film and see you in the next one Villard, where can people find you? Where yeah. they reach out to you? Um, people can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ I also write various reviews for all-comic.com and uh, TanamiFaithful.com so check out those um, I am occasionally streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash VLGTC. And then I also host uh, three podcasts. The first of which is the Demon Slayer podcast, which is on Twitter at Podcast. Then there's the Shaman King podcast, Oversoul, which is on Twitter at ShamanKingPod. And then uh, my more general anime and manga discussion podcast, the Dumb Weebs podcast which is on Twitter at Dumb Weeps Pod. So go check out all those. 
Yeah, definitely do. And if you want to listen to more podcasts in the Mongrats family, you can find us at Mavericks on Twitter, mongamavericks.tumblr.com on Tumblr. And our YouTube channel is youtube.se slash mavericks, or just search for it in the channel bar and you'll find it. And of course, we're on every podcast platform that you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're pretty much everywhere, so you can listen to us on there. And this network of podcasts includes not only this show, Manga Rise Like Movies, where we discuss movies, but also Manga Mavericks, where we discuss manga, the medium, the industry, and everything that encompasses. And of course, various other spin offs to that, like Anime, Manga Fights. And Lung Squad, which is just a podcast I do with my good friend AC that discusses the wonderful Mikey world of Mumiko Takahashi's Yurisei Asura. As for me personally, you can find me at Lamariasha on Twitter, Lamariasha, various places, Animation Revelation, Analyst, Rivers of Lamariasha, you can find me there. I also write reviews for all.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to reading more on there. And if you want to, you know, send some feedback about you know, your thoughts on this film, or just any suggestions for movies you want us to cover, send those our way to our email, mongamaris at gmail.com. We love hearing your guys' feedback, and we love taking your guys' suggestions. But if you also want to help support the show, help us keep funding more projects, and Producing more podcasts, you can head over to our Patreon, Patreon slash Manga Mavericks, where we have a variety of tier options available to you, where you can pledge your support and give us a little help, and it's greatly appreciated. And some of our tier options include a early access tier at two dollars, where you can listen to select podcasts early, and our main tier is our five dollar tier, where we offer a monthly bonus podcast. In addition to all of other podcasts we do, we have a patron exclusive monthly bonus podcast for $5 tiers, patrons. And our current project is the Saint Seiya Book Club Reads Through, where Colton and Doctor are going through the Saint Seiya manga for the first time during their first time experiences. They are wrapping the Poseidon up, and they're entering Hades, so that's going to be interesting to hear their perspectives on. And we also have a lot of other podcasts that we produce for that tier, like our Shonen Jump in 2020 retrospective, where we reviewed pretty much every Shonen Jump manga that ran in 2020 and shared our thoughts on them in a huge three-plus-hour-long retrospective. So definitely listen to them on there. But I think that about does it for this episode of Monarch at Movies, and I think we will see you in the next one. And remember, there is always one truth. I miss one truth prevails. I do too. That's a better catchphrase. And...